Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, starting with verse 10. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hand. Hebrews chapter 2, starting verse 10. We finished verses 1 through 9 in a couple different sections, picking up with where we left off. I had intended to finish the second chapter today. It's not going to happen. Uh, we've got the Lord's Supper. We've got a brunch right afterwards. So I'll be covering verses 10 through 13. So my bullet points today are one, one bullet point. Those of you who say that you can't change, you can. You know, I usually do three. Occasionally I do two. Today it's going to be one bullet point, and um, we'll be looking at just these few verses, 10 through 13. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. We can put one in your hands. Starting verse 10, for it was fitting for him for whom are all things and by whom are all things in bringing many sons, and you can put daughters there as well, to glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. The captain of their salvation is Jesus. For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified are all one. No matter where we're at in the world, the body of Christ is one. For which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. By the way, that is Jesus singing praise to the Father. We'll come back to that. Fascinating, huh? And again, I will put my trust in him. This is Jesus putting his trust in the Father. And again, here am I and the children whom God, and you can put parentheses, Father, has given me. Let's pray again. Father, we ask for the anointing of your spirit. Lord, just clear this room of anything that would distract us from growing, feeding, learning at your feet. It's in your name I pray. Amen. The writer of Hebrews continues to outline here that Jesus alone accomplished what no other person no other angelic being could have ever accomplished as it pertains to salvation and all the requirements, and there was a lot of requirements that God had, some we don't even understand or know, necessary to satisfy what God said must be done for salvation to be purchased. You think about Jesus, his humanity, his divine incarnation coming down and taking human form. His perfection, his sinless life. How about what it mentions here? His suffering. He, didn't, he, he couldn't only die, he had to suffer as well. His blood sacrifice, his blood had to be shed. He couldn't be killed by a hanging, for example. Had to be a blood sacrifice. And his resurrection, of course, we have to have the resurrection, right? He can't stay in the grave. We, just, we were just singing about this. All required... Every one of these things required, and more, to make a way for salvation. A pardon from hell, a pardon from judgment. And what else? An entryway to the Father. Not just one time to the Father, but for all eternity. You don't want to meet God once. That's the great white throne judgment. You want to stay there and never leave once you come into his presence. This week... Uh, 
Uh, Warren Wearsby went home to be with the Lord. Great man of God. I, I have a ton of his books. He'll never have to leave the presence of the Father now. Pastor Randy's there for eternity. Chuck Smith's there for eternity. You don't, once you go, you don't come back. You wouldn't want to come back. But if you meet him once at the end of the age, you weren't covered by the blood. See, God has brought Jesus not only to save us, but that we would take up eternal residence in the home of God. This was the will and plan of God. But nobody but Jesus could come within a trillion light years of completing the plan. you believe that? And, and that's, you could throw any number you want. It's an infinite number. No one could come anywhere near completing this plan that God the Father had but Jesus. What did he say? It is finished. Jesus completed it all. He's put everything into place. But guess what? We're not a finished product, are we? <laughs> no, far from it. Your spouse next to you says, I know that. Right? Uh, we are not a finished product. We're not yet complete. Now, we're in the family of God, if we're saved, but we're not complete. And Hebrews is written in part, this whole book, this whole epistle, is written in part to expand our appreciation of Jesus Christ. Do you want to know, do you want to appreciate Jesus more than you do today? Think about it. Do you want to appreciate Jesus more than you already do? He wants to expand our appreciation of salvation, to be more thankful for your salvation, and to deepen, to get the roots deeper, to deepen our dependence on Christ so that we become complete. No matter how old you are, God still is completing you. In fact, the closing benediction of Hebrews expressly states this intention of the Holy Spirit for us all. Let's take a quick look at it together. Here it is. Hebrews 13, 21. There's five verses in the benediction at the end of the book. We're, it's okay to read the end of books in Bible. All right? you, know, you can read the book of Revelation before you read other books. You can read the last five verses and go read. Sometimes it helps set the context of the whole epistle to kind of read the benediction just as you have the introduction. But here it says, to make you complete in every good work to do his will. You've been saved not only to become part of, not only saved from something, not only saved into the family of God, but to do the will of God. Jesus came to do the will of God. We've been saved to do the will of God. He goes on, working in you what is pleasing in his sight. God wants your life to be pleasing to him. It's not about pleasing ourselves. We don't wake up and say, how can I please myself today? It's how can I please the Lord? Through, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. It's all going to be to his glory, but everything is through Christ. Amen. Now this word, through, which I've obviously highlighted there, this word through is key to our new life in Christ. This word through will always be key to our life from now until we pass from earth into heaven. It was the starting point of our salvation. We can see that. Matter of fact, you can do a whole study on through. Matter of fact, you want to do any kind of study, just do through, comma, Christ, and word searches in Bible. You can do a whole study on through Christ. Through Christ. You can do a whole series on through Christ. Everything is through him. Right? 
Water comes into your house through one main pipe, right? Comes in from the road. Everything comes into the Christian life through Christ, all through Christ. There's not another way. Not Jesus plus Eastern meditation, right? Jesus plus this. No, it's, it's all through Christ. Our salvation, we believe, look at the verse, we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus we will be saved. It's through Christ. Now, the grace comes from Christ too, but it's all through Christ. And it's the power not only to save us, but it's also the power to grow us after salvation in our walk to draw us. We need God drawing us, don't, don't we? Even after salvation, we're really hard-headed, aren't we? We're very stubborn. We need God to draw us to himself to help us to be overcomers in a world of a lot of opposition. And you know where the most opposition in this world is? You and me for ourselves. But then we also have the enemy, and we also have the world's kind of cloud and system that just kind of hangs over. But in all that, we need his power not only to continue to grow and mature and grow closer to God, but also to reflect God as part of the family of God and a world that doesn't know God. Because the world doesn't know God. And it all has to be through Jesus. And that's a really big task, isn't it, that, that, that we have? to grow, to draw closer, to be a light, to be overcomers, to persevere. It's a big task, but Jesus has done all the heavy lifting, hasn't he? He's done all the heavy lifting. And he has everything we need. You know this verse. It's another through verse. You might not have thought about it. It's, again, it's a through Christ verse. They're all through the New Testament. I've only, I'm only showing you a couple, but if you've not thought about them, you can like this week look through and say, wow, I didn't realize that there was these other verses through Christ, through the grace of Christ, through the blood of Christ, through the death of Christ, through Christ, through Christ. Uh, I think the Holy Spirit's trying to make a point. And it's all through Hebrews as well. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I already said apart from, we, in our opening prayer, apart, Jesus said apart from me, you can do nothing. But with him, we can do everything, Right? If he wants a man to walk on water, he showed Peter that can be done. It's only happened that one time, but if God wants to do it, he can do it. But it's through Christ. Everything God is calling us to be and everything he's calling us to become is through Christ. If you're trying to do it in your own flesh, it'll never work. You agree with that? It'll never work to do it on your own strength. It'll never work. You need the grace of Christ. You need the help of Christ. It's through Christ. Our prayer life has to be constant. That's why Paul said, praying without ceasing. We have to be kind of plugged in, like, you know, out into the outlet, right? Your phone, you know, first your phone charges great. Then about a month later, you find out it doesn't charge so great. And after that, and you, just, you wish you could just travel around with it plugged into the wall, right? Because it's, it's dying. Although sometimes I've really found it's great not to have the phone around. This is, this is, a, this is an extra bonus piece, right? It's not in my notes or anything like that. We were getting, we were, my, my wife and I were going into a store yesterday, and I, I said to her, I said, I'm leaving the evil phone in the car. I, I don't want to see it. I don't want to hear it. I'm just leaving it in there. But when you need it charged, like when you're broken down on the interstate like we were, and you need it charged, 
so you can find out the lift doesn't have drivers anyway, but you need it charged, then you want to be plugged in. And so in our lives, the only power we have is through Christ. And it's reassuring to know that it's through Christ because I know I can't do it without him. How about you? I, I know that. The older I get, the more I realize I can't do anything without Jesus. And you can't either. But he loves us. Isn't that great? As kids, they sing this song, Yes, Jesus loves me. Sometimes you need to sing that to yourself. As an adult, Jesus loves me. No, doesn't matter if other people don't. Doesn't matter if things went wrong that day. Jesus loves us and he desires to see us, his children, flourish in his grace. Do you believe that? Do you believe he desires to see you flourish? Not just grow, but flourish. He said that you'd bear much fruit. Much fruit. You ever seen a tree that's just so heavy with fruit that it, like the branches are almost falling? You don't even have to get on a ladder or anything because the fruit comes down to you, right? It's heavy with fruit. God wants to do that in our life. Again, if you're taking notes this morning, sons and daughters through the risen son. We've become part of the family of God through Christ. That's what we're looking at this morning, through Christ. And I have a single bullet point, so you should be able to follow this one. No problem. This is it. This is the bullet point. Our adoption through Christ. Our adoption through Christ. Now, verse 9, if you go back up to verse 9, I didn't read verse 9 to open it up. I just want you to see it for just a second. Remember that it closes, verse 9, remember all verses uh, there's the 20-20 rule when you study the Bible. 20 verses above, 20 verses below. It helps you get the full context so you don't take it out of context, which is a pretext. Uh, but we want to see it in the context. And in verse 9, uh, it finishes that he, by the grace of God, might taste death for everyone. That's verse 9. It transitions into verse 10, of course, that Jesus might taste death for everyone. Now, for everyone. Verse 9 establishes that Christ was the substitutionary sacrifice and death for all the world. All who believe in the world. Not enough to say, well, what, have you ever seen like award shows from Hollywood? We're all God's children. We're not all God's children unless we have come in to salvation through Jesus Christ. We're all created by God. Everyone in the world is created in the image of God, but not everyone is God's child unless... They've come through the doorway of Jesus Christ. But all who believe, his sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice was enough to cover, and is enough, to cover everyone and save everyone from death and hell. Every person. There's enough. His atonement was strong enough to save every single soul, provided every single soul says, yes, Jesus, please, like the thief on the cross. Remember, they both had the same choice. Lord, remember we... Remember me when you come into paradise. But his grace must be received. Each person must one by one receive and believe. Now, just as we're saved from something, we talked about this just, for, just a couple minutes ago, we're saved some, uh, uh, from death and hell and separation from God. We're also saved to something, to something. And that something is to become the adopted sons 
and daughters of God. From something, once you're saved from hell, you don't spend near as much time thinking about death and hell anymore. Personally, you should think about it for the fact that, hey, my neighbors aren't ready for eternity. My unsaved family members aren't ready for eternity. My coworkers aren't ready for eternity. But you don't spend as near as much time worried about where will I spend eternity if you're really saved. By the way, even if you are saved, you can have random fears about death. Many theologians, many godly men have written about it. And one of the reasons we'll sometimes have those strikes of fear, even when we're saved, is we know the holiness of God. And we know how serious sin is. And we know how death really is real. So we don't just kind of like live in la-la land. So we will sometimes, and then we have to go back to the Word of God for reassurance. So don't think that you're abnormal if you've ever doubted your salvation, if you've ever had a fear about things like that. Those things will happen. We'll talk about that in just a second as well. But these things can happen. But for the most part, once you're saved, for the most part, you're not thinking in those terms anymore. You're saying, Lord, I'm not so much thinking about all the stuff I'm saved from. Now help me to grow in the will of God in the plan of God, in the family of God, to bear fruit. It's not just about, I, I made it, I don't need anything else. I'm convinced that the thief on the cross had lived, he would have been like the apostles, a great man of faith. He would have borne much fruit. It wouldn't have been like, well, I got, myself, I got my fire insurance in my back pocket. I don't really care about anything else. No, we're actually saved to something, to become these adopted sons and daughters of God. Galatians 3.26, it says... For you are all sons, and again, I always say and daughters in parentheses there because the, when the Bible says sons, it's speaking of all the offspring within a family. I can't say sons in my family. We ain't got no sons in the family. It's all, it's all girls in the family. So I, you know, I, I will read the scriptures to my own family. I'll say, and daughters, your guys are included. This is, a, this is uh, inclusive of all the children, if you will. All the sons of God through faith, through again, right? Where does, the, where does the adoption come from here? You are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. When we were born physically, most of us were born in a hospital. Is anyone here that wasn't born in a hospital that they were born somewhere else? Yeah, a couple of you are. Midwives or uh, you, you newfangled, uh, you know, we've got the birth home thing and the bathtub, all that. We didn't do that. We, we went to a hospital. We're not really as um, adventurous as some, of, some people are these days that are trying all these new different things. And we were like, we're going to a hospital. We need a doctor. I am not going to be in charge of this. I did cut three umbilical cords, and that was big enough for me. But I, I was not going to be like, hey, is this the right temperature water? And all this kind of, that would not have worked well at all. We might have been divorced after that. But, um, but most of us were born in a hospital. And the day we were born in the hospital, we were not born into the family of God. It's through faith. We weren't born in the family of God when we were born at whatever hospital. I was born in Annapolis, Maryland, uh, Anne Arundel Medical Center. I was not born into the family of God. I was born into the white family. Really boring name, I know. But that's where I was born into we had to be born again into the family of God. Born a second time, as Jesus explained to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. You must be born again. I had to be born the second time spiritually. 
And that work of being born anew into the family of God is done by Christ. Look back at verse 10. For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, by whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory. Jesus brought the sons in. Jesus brought them from outside the family into the family. He's that door. He is the door. He said, I am the door. Our salvation through that door, Jesus brought us in to that place that is now reserved for us at the eternal family table. Can't you not wait to get there? I mean, I'm not trying to rush it, but, uh, but and again, I was glad that the car didn't you know, have that, had that happen on the interstate. But at the same time, there will come a day when just like Warren Wearsby, just like you know, many other saints before us, we'll go on to, see, to be seated at that table with the Lord. And understand, the family was always God's plan. Always God's plan. It was always the family. It started as one family, one husband and one wife, right? Adam and Eve. They had perfect fellowship. Perfect fellowship together, perfect fellowship with God, and they were to be fruitful, and they were to multiply as a growing family in the image of God. That was God's plan for them. Billy Graham said the family was ordained by God before he established any other institution even before he established the church. And that's true. The family was, it it precedes the church. And in fact, Israel, who God would choose from one family, Abraham and Sarah, that would be the little family that would give birth to the nation. Israel and later the church are both called families. You know that, right? Study the Bible. They're called the children of Israel. The writers write to us, the church, little children, right? And all through both of them, the nomenclature of family is prevalent in describing Israel as a nation or the church. We are called the family of God. In both cases, regardless of age, you're still called a child to God, his, ch- his child. Elders and fathers are, again, the, the, fa- the elders are fathers, fathers being another family name that you find common in both Israel and in the church. We see it in the book of Titus. We see it in the Old Testament under the law as well. But after the fall, the family of God was broken, wasn't it? We had a broken family right out of the gate. One brother kills another brother. The brokenness of the family is revealed rather quickly. And only the Son of God could fix the separation that was brought on by sin. And that's what it's saying here. Jesus is bringing, uh, he is the captain of salvation. He's bringing sons in, but he had to change the dynamics forever because only he could change them. And And Adam, by the way, the first man, Adam, by the way, is referred to as the son of God in Luke 3.38. If you look at the genealogy, it finishes Adam, the son of God, it says. Why? Because Adam had no earthly father. And, he had, and, and prior to sin entering, when sin had not entered the world, everyone, think if sin had never entered in. If sin had never come, everyone would be born the son and daughter of God. There would be no sin. And so the relationship, the family wouldn't be broken. But after the fall, 
We all need spiritual adoption. And Jesus is the only agency we can go through. There's not another agency. It's Jesus only for this adoption. Now, Paul writes of this divine adoption. The word adoption is in the New Testament. You probably have seen it a few times. Uh, it's actually listed five times in the New Testament. Paul writes of this divine adoption in the book of Romans, also in Ephesians, and in Galatians. In all three of those books, he mentions adoption. Me and my wife, we were adopted by Christ into the Father in June of 1995. Do you know your date? I mean, some people don't. Some people are like, I don't know exactly when I got saved, but there's been a transformation in my life. You can be saved without knowing the exact day. I understand that. But we do. We, we, we walked forward, and there was just that, it was that day and night moment where we were adopted into the family of God. It was our second birth, and our names are now in the family role in heaven. And hopefully yours are as well. We weren't brought into a club. We weren't brought into a company, into a corporation. Brought into a family. Adopted into a family. Now the word adoption, uh, what it means in the scriptures, it means uh, to be spiritually transformed. But it's, as I mentioned, it's five times in the New Testament. And the, the precise meaning is the relationship that God is pleased to establish with himself. The relationship that God is pleased to establish with himself. It also means the nature and condition of the true disciple in Christ, who by receiving the Spirit of God into their souls, then become the sons of God. Did you see what has? The salvation of the soul has to take place, then you become the Son of God, but it pleases the Father to bring you in through Christ. He's the one bringing us in. Now, some people have lost all their family. Some people have endured years of painful family situations and perhaps rejection. But the family of God is a whole new family with a perfect father. Isn't that great to know? Boy, there's a lot of imperfect dads out there. I'm one of them. But there's also some just really bad dads. That, that I mean, kids that don't ever want to see their dad ever again kind of dad. That have done great harm. And God says, no matter what your family background is, I will bring you into a perfect place with a perfect father. This is what Jesus is doing. This is why he shed his blood, to bring people, no matter what the background is, to bring you into that place. And, and as we come into the family of God, look at verse 11. For both he who sanctifies, this is meaning Jesus, the he here is Jesus. He who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified, that's us that have put our faith and trust in Christ. Jesus is not sanctifying your unsaved relatives, yet we call them pre-believers. Keep praying for them. Saturday, we're praying for lost, and we're praying for prodigals and things like that. But until they come to faith, they're not being sanctified. They first need salvation. Sanctification is the process of purifying us post-salvation, right? It'd be like when the baby is born, the baby is born, the baby's alive. But what do they do? They start washing the, getting the baby cleaned up. That would be like a sanctification, right? 
the, the birth is alive, but now get the baby cleaned up, get them in a nice cloth, get all, that's sanctification. God's, that's like a lifetime for us. God's like rewashing us, rewashing us, swaddling us again. You know, when are you guys going to get this, right? But sanctification, verse 11, for both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all one. None of the children of God are neglected. He's not sanctifying some and not others. If you're saved, he's doing a work of sanctification in you. If you have no desire to be sanctified, and the word sanctification means to be purified and to be set apart, but if you have no desire to be set apart, if you have no desire to be uh, purified, then you might ask the question, am I really a son or daughter of God? Because he puts the desire in us to be set apart and to be purified and to be cleansed and, we, cleansed, and we don't really, we don't want to have the old ways in our minds and in our hearts that we used to have. We said, Lord, I, I just don't want to think that way anymore. I don't want to live that way. I want to please you. And that's not coming from you. That's coming from the Holy Spirit. Because there's nothing good. Are you righteous, filthy, right? We don't produce that. That's the Lord producing that in us. The Spirit places the desire in us that we want to come to the family table. You've, you've seen... Our family, we actually enjoy having dinner together. But I've, I've talked to people over the years say, oh, I, I can't even get my kids to come to dinner. There's a problem in your family. You have some work to do. They don't want to eat together. They don't want to be together. They don't want to hang out together. Well, when you're saved, you want to be at the family table with God. You want to be seated there with Jesus and the saints, and you want to be growing. If you don't have any desire to be with the body of Christ, that's a real red flag as well. Because he puts this desire in us to grow together, to go together, to feed on the word of God together, to be built up and encouraged together. Again, when I come to church on Sunday, I don't have to come. I get to come. I kind of have to because of my job. But even before that, I did want to come. Most, most people that are adopted by a loving family are thrilled they were finally been adopted, right? They don't say, well, I did my two weeks here. I'm out of here. No, they had been pre hoping that somebody would adopt them. If they really were adopted into a loving family, they're thrilled. They're like, can we do this every night? Can we go have dinner together? I've not had a family. I was alone. I was foster home to foster home to foster home to foster home. Anyone that actually was adopted into a loving family is thankful to finally be there. Not saying, eh, it doesn't mean that much to me. No, they've yearned to be in a family. I've never seen someone... Desperate to be adopted, just you know, say, I'm out of here. This wasn't, you know, this whole family thing wasn't what I thought it would be. Now, if they were adopted into some nightmare, but I'm talking about adopted into a wonderful, loving family. But God's far beyond that. He's perfect. His family is perfect. He is perfect. Romans 8:15. But you receive the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba. Father, once the Lord has done this work, we have a desire to call God our Father. And that's why Jesus said, when you pray, pray this way, our what? Father. Father. You should talk to God as Father. How do we know? Jesus has already told you to do it. Don't make up names for God. Call him what Jesus said. He's your Father. Call him but because you've been adopted as a son or a daughter. The Father, through the Son loves us immeasurably, 
And then we, by the Spirit, have this love back that says, Abba, Father. We have, it's the Spirit that helps us to yearn to have that relationship uh, with your Father. By the way, once your relationship with God is right, God will repair lots of other relationships in your life. Amen. Did you know that? Amen. He'll send you on a mission to repair. Now, you can't make other people repair their part, so don't, don't over, you know, try and, uh, I, I can't get that. No, you're never going to get people to come around. But you will do what is possible by whatever means to be at peace with all men. God will give you a desire to make those relationships right. But once that relationship with the Father is set straight, it really has a wonderful flow impact on all of your other relationships. Now, he goes on. He's not ashamed to call them brethren. Thereby, uh, when you understand that we've been brought into the family of God, uh, Jesus said another time, he said, I no longer call you servant, I call you friend. What Jesus is saying here is that I'm not ashamed to call them brethren. Jesus humbles himself that we can actually have a what we an approachable relationship. You ever meet someone who has a high title and they're just not approachable? They carry airs about themselves. This isn't Jesus. Jesus will sit down at the table, pervert, like let's say you're at Chick-fil-A. Jesus would sit down and have a normal conversation with you and not put on airs. But you know you're sitting in the presence of majesty and perfection at the same time. But he's like, you're my brother, but don't forget I'm still your Lord. But we can talk person to person. You can talk to me as a friend. You can talk to me as a brother. But at the same time, he's sinless unlike us, and he holds the world in his hand. So it's a, it's, a, it's a paradox, I understand. But he's not ashamed to call us brethren. That's the humility of Christ. Now, Christ, he's not only our superior by an infinite margin, but the fact that he calls us brethren is, is just its kind of a comforting thing to know that we can walk as peers in some respect, because he's already walked the earth, and he's already done everything that we've encountered. That's why he says he's acquainted with our sorrows. He goes, yeah, I, I've, I've experienced that. What about rejection? I experienced that. What about uh, humiliation? I experienced that. There's nothing you'll ever come up with that you couldn't talk to him as a friend or a brother and say, what about this? Jesus said, yes, I went through all that. Only difference is no sin, no error, no bitterness, none of that kind of stuff. He even said, forgive them. They know not what they do. So it's a wonderful thing that we know that he calls us brethren. He goes on in verse 12, I will declare your name to my brother in the midst of, your, uh, of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. Break that down for just a second. I will declare your name to my brethren. Jesus is saying, I am going to, and he prayed this in John 17, that I'm going to express to the church who you are, Father. I'm going to teach them who you are. Jesus is the one that teaches us who the Father is, and he declares the Father's name. He said, I've come to declare the will of the Father. My Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. He declares the name of the Father, the express purpose of the Father, but in the midst of the assembly, I will sing praise to you. So Jesus is saying, at some point, this is just me reading this, at some point, there's going to be worship going to the Father that Jesus appears to be right there with us, but leading it because he says, I will sing praise to you. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, yeah. That ought to make all of us become worshipers. Amen. If Jesus is singing to the Father, we ought not be quiet. Amen. 
He said even the rocks would cry out if we're not going to worship. But the bottom line is he's, there's going to be a day, rather amazing someday, Jesus appears to, will lead us in song to the Father. And you thought worship was awesome this morning, right? When Jesus leads the worship. Our adoption, he goes on to say, and again, I will put my trust in you. Um, our adoption, all of these things is to bring glory to God. If Jesus is singing to the Father and teaching us, he's declaring the name of the Father, but also teaching us to worship the Father, all because, we read some of the other verses, it all is to glorify God. All of verses 10 through 13, if you read these three verses again, I don't have time to read them right now, but they echo a prophetic word found in Isaiah that's most specifically written uh, of God restoring Israel, but I believe it's also clearly a foreshadow of the entire and eternal family of God. And it's a beautiful passage. I want to close with it. I want you to see it with me. Uh, it's written in the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 5 through 7. And again, it's, it's specifically in the original context is about Israel. And it still will be fulfilled in a future day when God brings Israel back. But it's not only about Israel. It's 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 first about Israel, but it's also inclusive. Remember, the Bible is a, many, many verses in the Bible are both and, not only, but both and. Uh, and so the principle duality, understanding that it is a tar bullseye target on Israel, but the wider target is the church of all grafted into, Paul writes about this in Romans, that we're grafted into spiritual Israel. And that's the whole body of Christ. And look what it says. Fear not. Don't you love it? starts with that. Fear not, for I am. The word I am is how God spoke to Moses. The I am has sent me. I am. Jesus, the seven I am's in the book of John. I am, for I am with you and will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons and daughters from afar. And my daughter, well, actually, daughters isn't in this one. Thank you, Lord. This one, I forgot that you put it in this one. And this one, he actually specifically says daughters. And my daughters from the ends of the earth, everyone who is called by my name. This is salvation right here. Jesus has brought many sons and daughters in, whom I have created, here it is, for my glory. Your seat at the table, God's going to give you the blessings of eternity, but it's for his glory still for his glory. For my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Adoption of the family of God is a wonderful thing. I can't wait to spend all eternity with the Lord. But this won't change. It'll always be for who? For his glory. We have a responsibility now to glorify him. And I want to just close with uh, this, just a couple of questions here for you as we as we wrap it up, we're going to take communion together in just a couple of minutes. But um, is there something you still want more than the adoption that you've received from Jesus? Is there something you still want more in your life? Is our adoption enough? It's just questions we have to ask ourselves. Is our adoption enough? Is Jesus enough? Or do you still want something else that really can't satisfy I see all these people with money and everything else on TV, and they're not happy anyway. They're checking themselves into clinics. Uh, they're, they're on all kinds of 
medications and all these different things and all of these things, and none of them are providing peace. Is Jesus enough? Are we at the table and growing? Are we at the table and growing? Are we singing and praising the Father? If Jesus is leading in song, we should be singing. Amen? Amen. Are we singing? Not just on Sunday morning. Are we inviting others into the family? Are we inviting others into the family? These are questions that I have to ask myself. I'm not just asking you. I'm asking me. And I have to say, Lord, I look at this list, and I can say, I want the adoption to be more rich to me. I want Jesus, you to invade every nanosecond of my life. Amen? That's what I want. That's what he wants. I want to sit at the table with you and other believers and grow in his grace. I want to sing more to the Lord. I want to invite others in the family of God. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father, we just, we just thank you for sending your son to bring us into salvation. Lord, we could never have completed the requirements. We could have never made the way of salvation, but we can receive the way, the truth, and the life into our life because of your blood. That we're going to remember, Lord, in just a couple of minutes with the taking the bread and the, and the cup, but, uh, but Lord, we thank you so much, Father, that you wanted to save us, that you wanted to have mercy on us, that you sent your only begotten Son because you so loved the world. And I thank you for those in this room you have saved by grace. And I thank you for my own salvation in 1995 and my wife and, and many others here, Lord, that I have seen you do a great work in their lives. And, Lord, we, we want to grow. We want to love you more. We want to appreciate your salvation, your adoption. And, Lord, forgive us of being distraction, distracted by things that are not important. And, Lord, putting other things in front of you. We ask for your forgiveness. But we thank you for your grace, and we thank you for your mercy, and we thank you for your love.